Hello, everyone, and welcome to Co-Ops Connect. I'm your host, Abby Carreri, Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Connexon. Each episode, we bring you authentic, heartfelt stories from rural electric cooperatives deploying fiber broadband networks to serve their territories. We sit down with co-op leaders who are tackling head-on the rewards and challenges of bridging the digital divide in rural America, one mile of fiber at a time. Connexon is proud to be at the forefront of the electric cooperative fiber broadband movement, partnering with co-ops across the country to transform communities with world-class fiber internet. Our values align with the cooperative principles of sharing resources and working together to improve services and lives of the members served by our co-ops. So, no matter where you are in your broadband journey, whether you're contemplating getting started or already laying fiber cable on your network, tune in to Co-ops Connect to hear directly from the changemakers who are powering progress at the speed of light in their own rural communities. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Co-Ops Connect. Today, I am so pleased to welcome Colby Wells, the CEO of South Central Arkansas Electric Cooperative and its fiber subsidiary, South Central Connect. South Central Arkansas Electric is based in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, with over 10,000 meter locations. Colby, thank you for being with us today. Absolutely, Abby, and I'm definitely happy to go over some of the real fun stuff with the fiber deployment but going over to the talking about the really the fiber to the home piece of south central connect subsidiary of south central electric like you opened with we've got just over 10,000 meters here in south central arkansas we started out with a phase one build that covered three of our substations and it was about a thousand mile build and that kicked off in 2017 and heavy construction really began in 2018. We then moved into phase two, which was three more of our substations, right at another almost 600 additional miles in the phase two build. And we're going to be wrapping up. I'm just kicking off phase three as the final phase, which originally was four phases, but we got it watered down into three of another about 400 builds. So we're going to be right shy of 2,000 total miles built, passing a little over six 6,000 subscribers. It should be online with 6,000 subscribers. That'll get us around a 40% take rate of our actual membership. So hopefully we get a little bit higher than that. But anyway, it's the 100 meg is our, our baseline service that we provide. And then we go up to a gig service. Another big win that Connexon helped us out with big time was participating in Rural Digital Opportunity Fund here this last year, and and we received a little over $20 million in it that we talked a little bit about in the last podcast. And that's a little bit of the recap, but like I said, the real fun part, especially in my previous life here at South Central, I was operations manager and substation technician back in the day. And one of the things we've been trying for a long time to get into is more of a smart grid and really help with our reliability side of the business on the electric side. And when the way the original project before the Ardolf auction or the CAF2 even a couple years ago came about from the SEC is the way the project was originally set up to be deployed is actually on a smart grid loan from RUS. And it was all about getting communications across our whole power grid to where we could really work on reliability and and in turn, it will help with affordability on our electric rates down the road. One of the major things that we did initially with those substations as they came online is we were able to get a high-speed internet connection because of the fiber being there at our substations back to the office. 
We deployed in mid-2000, we deployed an AMI system, which is where our meters automatically read back to the office. We deployed a system called TWAX, a Clara product, and we've had that in place since 2000. But we've struggled a lot of times with having 10,000 plus meters out there trying to read at times with the communications at the substation being at best cell-based, some satellite and, and other communication aspects, depending on what substation it was. We had latency in getting our reads back. And we'd have reads missed one night or whatever the case was. So it really caused a lot of issues early on in the billing department, things like that. Meters had to be hand read and different things like that. Now, with the high-speed internet and the, the fiber being there, we're getting these reads back at 97-plus percent nightly reads, which is incredible. Still with the same TWAC system that we had that's actually reading the meters via the power line at the homes or the businesses, but the substation equipment actually has a high-speed connection now from the substation to the office to get those reads back to us, and that has dramatically changed our reads, and they're almost 100% perfect. Another big key piece to the TWAC system, it also functions as our endpoint for our outage management. So prior to the broadband being and the fiber being put out at our substations and even down line, you had to call in, like if a member was out of power, they had to call in and there was an automated system where they could talk to one of our ladies up front and they report their outage. When that call was initiated, then it would then make the outage management system start checking the other meters. We call it pinging, pinging the other meters nearby, like their neighbors, and seeing if they were out of power as well. As those meters were checked, whenever they would find one that was still on, then it would help predict just the line section or the area, if you will, that was out of power. Now that we have the high-speed internet there, we've actually deployed another service that it's basically, it's called FDNL, which is fault detection and location. And it runs an algorithm, basically, is the best way to put it. It's just an algorithm running all the time, just checking all of our meters that we have tied onto the substations with fiber and randomly checking meters all throughout the day and through the night. So you don't actually have to be at home now to get an outage notification back to the co-op. We still highly encourage, obviously, any of our members that are out of power to go ahead and call in too. So that way, we, in case it was in the round of not being near their area whenever they went out of power, we would still catch that. But regardless, this should increase our reliability by tenfold if we're getting notified about the outages, possibly before a member even gets home. If they're at work or something, their power goes out, they typically don't call in until you know they get home and realize they're out. So now we should be a little more proactive in knowing about these outages prior to that. And getting some, some line personnel out in the field during working hours, obviously, one thing for any of the other CEOs or managers that maybe listen to this, it's a great thing for us because it's cutting down some on our overtime and our just after hours and it being dark and things like that, hard to find outages after the sun goes down. So that's the one huge way that the fiber and the broadband has drastically helped here with South Central Electric in just those two areas there. I've got a whole list of stuff that we can get through today, but those are the, probably the two most value adders for me at this point in time is because of the meter reads are very accurate and on time. And then the outage management system is just way more efficient than it was before, which that's something that we have been looking at. How I started this off is I've been looking for different ways of getting that level of communication for several years now. And truly the only thing we always came back to was the fiber. Fiber was the best option in our area. We've covered some great points here, you know, from outage restoration to demand response. Are there any other methods? You know, there's voltage control, and I know you touched on some areas 
specific examples around the communications of your electric devices that has resulted in savings for your co-op. So are, are there any other things that you can touch on that are really definite benefits of deploying a smart grid solution outside of the ones you've already covered? Continuing on that, on the reliability side, the other thing that we're just now deploying, it's another Eclara product, but it's called grid monitoring. And what this product actually does, it's a, a device that clamps on to the conductor. You can put them anywhere along the line that you have access to a connection, which is, in our case is fiber. You know, they do make some cell-based and things like that. But again, we struggle in here in South Arkansas with terrain and cell phone coverage in areas. So it just didn't really ever make sense to use this grid monitoring until we had the fiber deployed across most of our footprint at this point. And the way the grid monitoring, the Claire's grid monitoring works, it's basically a power quality meter that is attached to the conductor that catches everything. I mean, we can see small little vegetation blips where we may have a limb that's bumping a line somewhere in an area that needs right-of-way service all the way up to a huge event, a permanent fall, a tree falling or a car hitting a pole or something like that. And so not only are we, as I noted before, with the FDNL and the outage management system kind of being more efficient now, we're also pinpointing these outages into a smaller area instead of a whole line section that could be upwards of one or two of our feeders could be over 50 miles in an area that if it rolled all the way back to the substation, it could be 50 miles plus of a whole outage. And it's hard to know for sure where to go as the send line personnel. Now these grid monitors are being deployed at the substation and down line from the substation, then it could break this up into a mile or two stretch and letting the line workers know that, hey, this is where you need to go first and see where the problem is. So that's a huge benefit. Again, Without the broadband down our power lines, built along our power lines, we just really didn't have the access to do before. One thing that, before I hand the mic back to you, the one thing that you brought up also was demand response. And prior to having our fiber built out, we only had demand response availability at the substation level. So anything, any low curtailment, if we needed to do low curtailment for some reason in heavy peak time, anything in relation to demand response, we could only do it at the substation level. Now with the fiber built out, we can reach out to regulator, voltage regulators, downline, reach out to our relays that are on our reclosers. If a line is, there's a, a load for some reason that is really pulling the whole system down and could be causing problems with the transmission grid, whatever the case is, we can control that at a more, I guess you'd say, regional level instead of just being a, a global level, meaning the whole substation that we couldn't do before. And so that's another real adder. It doesn't cause outages or demand response to affect as many members at a time as it did in the past. All this is amazing information because smart grid is so new, right? And a lot of people haven't deployed it yet. So it's really hard to quantify the benefits of it. But being that, you know, because a lot of it's soft dollar like savings, as you're talking through all these things, right? These are ways to make you more efficient, which save you money in multiple other ways that are actually saving on costs for things. So in your mind, I guess, if you're talking to another cooperative about the benefits of it and, and looking at more at a quantifying perspective, how would you talk to someone about the benefits in that way? Uh, hopefully the hardest question you asked me today, but it is very, because like you said, there are soft dollar amounts as far as when you really get to talking about dollar amount, because the weather and everything else plays into that. And I'm struggling with 
coming up with a matrix that actually shows how much more efficient we are now. I can tell you what we are seeing. We're seeing at least a few percentage points reduction in overtime hours worked. And also part of that comes back to always increasing a right-of-way program and really working to keep our lines very clean, which I'm going to hit back on that in just a second. So it's it's really hard to just completely give 20% more efficient or something like that type number. But where we are seeing it is the after hours, overtime, truck rolls and different things there. We're seeing a couple of percentage points tick down there. And then our actual safety and safety numbers are trickling down at the midpoint this year. Now, a lot of this stuff was just deployed. It's right at three to four months old. So I I don't have good historical data yet, but already just in the three to four months that we've already got this stuff out, it's drastically helped seeing things work more efficient. The big key point that I would like to make about the grid monitoring that is, I don't know how I would ever even quantify this, and especially in the dollars, but large industrial member that is having some power quality issues and they're kind of new. We don't really understand why all of a sudden this came up, but the great thing is we had just deployed on this feeder and we're actually able to see the data. If you go back six, seven months ago and they would have called we didn't have any way to actually see this because our relays inside the substation, little blips are small enough that the relays weren't even catching them all. But the grid monitoring is dialed in and on each phase to where we can really see when a problem happens. We're seeing problems that they're not seeing, you know, and able to go out and troubleshoot that thing. We found some arresters and a couple of insulators that had some small blemishes. And we run a 25 kV system on most of our area. And so it doesn't take much. It's a 14,400 volts to ground system that we're running out of that substation. So it doesn't take much moisture or a small crack in insulation or anything like that to cause a, a blink, basically. But going back and adding in the right-of-way piece, again, talking about the grid monitoring there, we're able to start calculating our line loss and we can actually see some areas that need right-of-way trim because we're just seeing very small little fluctuation in current and voltage. And most of that can be tied back to limb after we're actually seeing it now, getting it back through SCADA and our SCADA operators are sitting there monitoring this as closely as they're monitoring it. We can actually go out and notice that, hey, this line right here is this real small current fluctuation, sometimes some voltage fluctuations also at the same time. There's got to be something small, limb or something. We got some encroachment from our right-of-ways and sure enough, we really dial in and send our right-of-way guys out in a certain area and they're seeing this stuff before it ever starts even showing up in the industry. We all talk about hot spots and the different things there that you can see once it gets bad, but we're catching it right when the first ends of the pine needles are first starting to touch the lines because of the amount of information we're getting back. I know that wasn't a great answer to your question, but I tried to dodge the question just a little bit (laughs) because I don't have good solid numbers just yet. It's so new for us. I think it's so new for everybody. So this is something that's like the wild, wild west, right? We're all trying to tap in and figure it out. So it's awesome to speak to you who are in the early stages of deploying this and already seeing all the benefits inside of it. And so you look into why aren't more people doing this, right? And I want to, I know you've touched a lot on the benefits of building fiber network and fiber to the home and why that is so necessary in deploying a smart grid solution. So before we really dive back into that piece, I would love to just kind of talk more about smart grid enhancements and is it a significant investment? So those co-ops listening that may be in the early stages of learning about it, what is the investment to get into doing this with your network? And then in the end, what you put in, the extreme benefits of what you're going to get out of it. 
hitting on the investment part of it originally, and I didn't recap about this in the beginning, but originally our initial fiber project that the board approved was a little over $35 million to do fiber to the home via the smart grid loan, which then turned around and we started deploying the smart grid behind the fiber to the home. So the smart grid piece of what the pieces I'm talking about with increased substation capacity, the demand response, the grid monitoring, all those pieces there, we're putting in an average of a little over a quarter million dollars a year to deploy the actual smart grid pieces. So when you look at overall project, it's really a drop in the bucket. And that's why I hate that I don't have good numbers yet to actually be able to quantify true savings there because we're just deploying this stuff. And obviously there's always ROIs ran on the stuff before we deploy them. I think we're going to blow those numbers away, I guess, over time because we're already hitting you know, the return on it. It's already there. So the investment on the smart grid itself, just in today's climate, is pretty much a no-brainer. It's real simple stuff to deploy. A lot of this stuff, you don't even have to have a SCADA system, which we already had, but you don't even have to have a SCADA system. So that other two, $300,000 investment, all this, all the things that we're actually deploying can stand alone and operate without that. So you're able to do it for pennies on the dollar and actually be able to gain that power quality and that line loss information to a level that you could never do before, or at least South Central wasn't aware of ways to do it before having the fiber there. I can't even come up with a good argument of why you wouldn't do it. Is I guess the best way. And that's just talking about today's climate. I mean, here in Arkansas and everybody saw in Texas and Arkansas and parts of Mississippi and other areas got hit with the snow apocalypse, as we all refer to it here this past winter here in, in February. And one of the things that happened, especially in the Texas area, is you just couldn't control how much demand was on the system because it was such a historical event, I guess is the best way to put it. And I believe that South Central is headed in a path to where we can utilize our investment here with the smart grid deployment to mitigate our exposure to huge demand costs just by being able to curtail load in a quote-unquote rolling blackout type thing and not truly impact our members to an uncomfortable level. Obviously, anytime we get hit with something that's historical, like a snow event that happened there that we just came through, it would be tough to keep everybody's lights on the whole time, but we can do internal rolling outages and different things like that to get the burden off of the whole system. So that's another thing. I can't really quantify that. I mean, what is the value in that? I don't know that there's even a value that you can put on it if you can keep everybody comfortable and keep the lights on as much as possible. You know, and the heat going is the biggest thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so what would you say are benefits, like looking long-term for smart grid for the future? We're looking at today and how it's super beneficial, but when you fast forward 10 years from now, and then why is it necessary to have fiber backbone to be able to deploy and efficiently run these smart grid solutions inside of your network? Perfect question. So one of the major benefits that's happening already today also, and this is going to be a good segue into the remaining piece of your question as far as in the future, even time back to the snow apocalypse there, is one of the things that we have roughly, it's 11, probably 13 now, large industrial and commercial accounts that are spread all the way across our system. And we cover, we touch nine counties, mainly three South Central counties, but we end up touching nine counties completely. And across that footprint that we have, we've got 13 accounts 
that we were having to drive to four to five times a year to pull billing information off of their meter because they're on a rate that reflects the same rate that we pay through our wholesale power contract, which is based off of a peak four months in the summertime. And we have to go and get data off of those meters because with the TWAC system, not to totally get too technical here, but the TWAC system from Aclara is a power line communications. So there's only so much bandwidth on that power line that you can get information back before you start reaching some thermal limits that a meter can handle. To get the data that we need for our peak billing, that's outside the bandwidth that we can pull back via the power line communication. So we're having to drive a truck out to those locations, physically read the meter with a computer program and then do that and bring that in, you know, four or five times a year. And the reason I bring that up now, we don't have to do that because we've got fiber to these meter locations and we're able to read those back via the fiber. Going forward, as power cost and demand and the increased load on on the, our systems and even the transmission systems, generation facilities and everything else, the one thing that I can possibly see happening in the future is more than just those large industrial and, and large commercial accounts having, you know, maybe even a residential account at some point in time, having more of a, you hear it talked about a lot of times, a time of use type rate. And if that ends up being the case, then that's the same struggles that we're going to run into down the road is needing more information from that consumer's meter than the power line communication can actually handle. So that's a big benefit as being able to have that high-speed connection there near the meter or at the meter and be able to pull that information back. One of the things there's a lot of buzz, a lot of buzz around electric vehicles, you know, electric charging stations and everything. And actually currently today, I was just watching some of our guys put in our first electric car charging, our EV charging point here at our headquarters office. Those things are going to need a connection as well just the remote ones like here at our office that are uh, eligible for anybody to use, then there has to be a connection there for the user to be able to pay for it or if they've got a credit or however that works with the charging point, we have that available. We could actually deploy these charging points as demand came up for them. We could deploy these charging points basically anywhere on our system because we have the power availability and the communication availability now. Same thing at people's homes. A lot of homes are becoming more of a smart home. We've got, you know, Alexa or Google or iHome or whatever the case. And a lot of homes nowadays, and you can control thermostats and different things there by your home network. Well, there may be some benefits for the utility eventually to do things to help with the member's rate to give them a deduction in cost or a, uh, a credit, if you will, depending on what it is, by installing water heater controls or air conditioning controls. And those are things that the utility like South Central may actually end up controlling from our office and having that high-speed internet connection, we can control it as needed and not just be set on a timer, which is kind of the traditional way that it's been done in the past is just every day the water heater is turned off from four to seven o'clock or whatever the case is, we could actually just turn that water heater off for 30 minutes on a schedule that it needed to be. Instead of just kind of hit a blanket, if you will, of time that typically is when the peak is. I think the benefit, I could probably go on and on, some of them just being conceptual and possibly just a thought that it may happen. But without that broadband connection, that high-speed internet connection there, you're just very limited in doing some of the things the world that we're migrating into is going to need. Well, Colby, I think you summed it up. I mean, I had multiple questions and I didn't even have to finish them. You finished my sentence. <laughs> so 
Is there any final things that you want to say before we wrap up today? Is there anything that you feel like maybe you left out or would like to have the listeners know a little bit more about before we go? Abby, like I told you before we get started on the podcast here, I think I could probably talk about this part for as many hours or days as you wanted to discuss it. So (laughs) I think I summed it up pretty well. I definitely, if you think of something else, I'd definitely love to jump on another one with you sometime and we can discuss it in further. I would 100% agree with you on that. And I thank you so much for your time as always and all your knowledge and all of the different areas of deploying broadband to your members and building fiber out in these rural areas and these rural communities, as well as being one of the early adopters to start deploying smart grid solutions and helping those out there who are looking into doing this as well. So thank you again to our listeners too. Please tune in again. And if you have any questions for Colby and myself in regards to this, we'd be happy again to come back and expand more on these types of services and solutions that we're providing in the areas. Thanks everyone again. Again, you can reach us at marketing at connectson.us. Thank you again, Colby. And we hope everyone tunes in again for another episode of Co-ops Connect. Thank you for listening. Co-Ops Connect is brought to you by Connexon, the industry leader in rural fiber network design and construction management. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions and topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Please email us, marketing at connexon.us with your suggestions or for more information on how we support electric co-ops deploying broadband.